0: Lord Jesus, we come to your Word Uh, this morning. I I thank you that I I will testify you have already been present this morning more than I deserve. Uh, And I ask for your continued presence this morning. As we come to your Word, as we uh, continue with lifted eyes toward you, may we find you. Uh, May you Pour yourself out on us this morning. May we walk out different people, not just because we heard some things or know something different, but because we've been in the presence of our King and we've been transformed by the presence of our King. So just come and have your way uh, with what time we have left this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get to, we're starting a new series and we get to talk about one of my favorite things. You know what that is? I do love discipleship. I said one of my favorite things, right? I didn't say my favorite thing. So yes, the discipleship is one of my favorite things. And this is a piece of that. But we're going to talk about taboos in the church. One of my favorite things to talk about is things that you're not allowed to talk about. I found out yesterday, uh, we we were at this discipleship workshop, and one of the things we were talking about is like the character of Jesus. And somebody said, Jesus was kind of a provoker. He kind of, he, he picked a few fights. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus wasn't like, he didn't play with kid gloves. He kind of went, oh, yeah? Sometimes just threw a little grenade in the room uh, and, and forced people to kind of like have some discussions that they maybe didn't want to have. And I was like, I identify with this side of Jesus, you know? And so Kim has been praying for the last couple of weeks since I felt led to start talking about this because... Uh, really <laughs> Psalm 141, Lord set a guard over my mouth, set a watch over the door of my lips... Uh, Because taboo things, let's look at the definition of taboo. A social or religious custom prohibiting or forbidding discussion of a particular practice or forbidding association with a particular person, place, or thing. Maybe you're new to church, and you don't know that there are certain things that we as polite Christians don't talk about. Uh, maybe you've been in the church a long time, and you've already forgotten how big the list can be of things that we just don't talk about. But it's very common in Western culture as a whole, but even, even in each individual church, that there are certain things that are taboo. They're, they're forbidden to discuss and here's the thing about taboos, you won't tend to find a list written down somewhere. Here's the things we don't talk about. It's these social customs that we have. We don't talk about them because they've never been talked about and we just kind of pick up, oh, I guess those are off limits. I guess those are out of bounds. The, the second part of this definition breaks my heart even more, that there's particular persons or places that are just off limits, that, that we're forbidden to interact with because of what they do, because of what they believe, because of. I want to push back against that. We're going to spend, honestly, the next couple months looking at some of these taboo topics that we have in the church, because to say that something is forbidden to even discuss, here's the thing. We better at least have a pretty good reason for why, right? And we better at least all be on the same page as why. Or to say that there's a certain person or group of people or whatever that we're just to hold at arm's length, we better have a pretty good reason for that. So we have to have some of these conversations that might get uncomfortable at times, and that's okay. We want to be respectful. We want to have them in a way that, that is honoring to people, but many of these are going to be uncomfortable simply because we've just never talked about them before. And it's awkward, and we don't know, maybe sometimes, the right words to use. And, but we as a body are going to push through that and begin to have some of these conversations. So let me start by this. I have a pen, and I have paper. So when I ask this question, I really want to hear from you. What are some topics that are considered taboo in the church? Intimacy. Intimacy? That is a very polite way to say sex. I'm just... Gonna write that down. Okay. What else? Politics. Politics. Somebody's trying to get me fired. Pornography. Great. Okay. What's that? Ooh. Okay. Black Lives Matter. I'm just writing it down. Don't bring an umbrella to a rainstorm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Homosexuality. You don't know what I mean? When you're brainstorming, no idea is a bad idea. You just, I'm just writing it down, okay? Sex, politics, pornography, Black Lives Matter, homosexuality. What? Abortion? <laughs> Anytime you throw one out and you hear somebody go, ooh, <laughs> you're probably on the right track. Okay? What else? Divorce. Divorce. Okay. Suicide? Okay. Okay, yeah. The fall of, especially like famous or prominent Christian leaders, you know, I mean, they they kind of have a, we sometimes say, fall from grace, you know, and the response for many in the churches go, we kind of just, they're, not only are they cut off, but we also don't look at it, don't talk about it, just keep moving in the other direction. Okay? Okay? Yeah? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Finances, money. Even like pollution or like Okay. Yeah. Yeah? Mental health. hmm Mental health. Which covers quite a lot of topics. Yeah? What else? Kids can share, too. Like, what are you not allowed to talk about? It's fun. I'm getting, your parents can't get mad at you because I told you to say it. Mm-hmm. Evolution. Yeah? Again, ooh, <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Anything else? Dangerous New Age philosophy. <laughs> okay. Dangerous New Age philosophy. Okay. Good news is no one has to know that I don't know how to spell philosophy right now. <laughs> it's four Y's, right? Okay. Oh, domestic violence. They made a game out of this back there. They're trying to like top one another. They're playing taboo bingo. Okay. Sorry, I missed. uh, What was this? Alcohol. Alcohol? Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Mm Mm-hmm. Addiction. Okay. Anything else? I heard transgender. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we've. I'm trying to figure out how to categorize that one. Because we kind of have this, yeah, certain sins are worse than others. And most of us weren't necessarily taught that. We just picked it up, you know, because like just the way that it's discussed. Okay. Good. Mm hmm. Yep, what was it? Infertility. Infertility, yeah, yeah. Stick around, you'll find out. Okay, all right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut it down there, not because there's not more things that can go on this, but, but you begin to see, right now we have, there's over 20 things that we just listed that at least in this room, some feel are taboo. Are things that we can't discuss. Maybe we shouldn't discuss. Over 20 different topics, and you started to see that like some of these are things that we deal with every single day, whether it's sex and money, or or mental health, or some of these uh, different like evolution and this stuff that's like kind of pretty pervasive in culture, pornography, all this. But the church certainly for the last 50 years, and it probably started a long time before that, has said, we're just gonna kind of step out of some of these arenas. These aren't very polite. These aren't things that we're gonna take time to discuss. And I think that that's a dangerous thing. So let me ask you this next question. It just follows right after this. Why have we considered these topics taboo? Why why do we consider them off-limits? Okay, because they can cause division. They have the potential to divide. When we talk about politics was on the list, well, there's kind of two main choices, right? And some of you might have one, and some of you might have the other, and uh-oh, what do we do then? There's the potential for division in some of these, and so the church has said, let's just not. Okay, sometimes we keep quiet on them because we know, you know what, our opinions, or certainly the biblical opinions, aren't very popular, and so let's just not talk about them and hope no one notices. Let's just hope that no one asks those questions, and so we just kind of ignore them because we could get in some trouble, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things on this list that aren't, like, just the church's problem. Like, culture has said, we just don't talk about, like, mental health. Because it's, it's messy. And it's not super clear. And we don't really understand it completely. And so let's just not talk about it. But the church has been fine to go, good, we didn't know what we were going to do with that one either. Okay. And we've, we've followed right in suit. Brian, do you have something? He's saving it. Particularly, like, even with, um, in terms of mental health, like, even with different genders, like, I feel like it's more accepted, sometimes, like, men are, men are told, like, you gotta be strong. Like, sure. You can't share your emotions, so maybe even more so, if a man is struggling, like, he would be less open to talking to someone sure. about it, within the church, even yeah. if, like, some of these, we, we've built up a picture of here's what, like she was talking about like men and mel- mental health, and it's potentially even more of a struggle for a man to come out and say, this is an issue that I have. Sometimes it's because we've built up this picture of here's what a man in the church is supposed to be, always strong, never making mistakes. And so to come and say, hey, I'm struggling with some of these things, it just feels like a shot. That like, man, can, I, can we actually do that? And so some of them, we've built these idols, of what a godly man and godly woman should be. And here's the thing, we all know we fall short of them. And so to talk about these things is to admit that I'm falling short of this image that we've kind of lifted up. That's, that's just plain difficult. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things on this list. Some of them that the scripture isn't just exactly, it doesn't say always do this or never do that. And so we have to wrestle and we have to interpret and we have to talk. Some of them just weren't necessarily issues back then. They didn't have cell phones. So the Bible doesn't say here's how to handle social media. But it does talk to some of the roots of the issues that social media brings up. The Bible is, is clear on some of those things, but sometimes you got to do a little work. you got to do a little digging. And you have to go, man, I I can kind of see both sides of this. And you can kind of feel a little stuck in the middle sometimes. And so we would rather just not talk about it. I don't think that there are taboo topics in the church because the Bible doesn't speak to them. I don't think you're going to find a taboo topic. You're not going to find a verse that says, and never talk about this. The scripture doesn't shy away from taboos. We do, but the scriptures don't. Sometimes, some things are taboo, listen, because they're not appropriate to talk about in big group settings. And we've put so much emphasis on this Sunday morning thing that go, if we can't talk about it there, I guess it's just something we should never talk about. We're going to break that rule because somebody has to bring these things up. But some of these topics, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty on as we discuss these. My goal is not to come up here and make sure that you all fully understand every single, like, No but simply to broach the topics and go, now some of these, these should be one-on-one conversations over coffee. These should be a few guys getting together or a few women getting together and discussing some of these things. So I'm going to kind of break the rule. We're going to talk about them in a place that might not be appropriate. I'm going to handle it with kid gloves as best as I can. But my hope in this is to just break the silence so that we can hopefully then create some environments to have these conversations. Does that make sense? Some of the things, this isn't the best way to handle it, but sometimes you gotta do it wrong just to get the thing moving in the right direction. Sometimes some of these things are taboo simply because somebody had mentioned they can be divisive. There's really strong opinions, and here's an even more difficult uh, topic sometimes, strong emotions on either side of these. The issues that we just mentioned here, they affect people at a very deep level. Some of these are very traumatic to people. Some of these are are deeply ingrained in who we think we are. And so we know to enter into there, it's not only, well, I think the Bible says this or I think the Bible says this. It's, I've been really, really hurt by this or really, really hurt by that. And we kind of go... I don't want to take the time and effort that it would take to navigate that with someone, so we just don't talk about it. Sometimes we just don't know how to answer questions. Why don't we talk about these things? Because I don't really understand it. Someone told me in Sunday school, this is what the Bible says. They never actually showed it to me, they never actually, but they said this is what Christians believe, and then they walked away and I went, okay, cool. So that's the right answer, but I don't actually know why that's the right answer. I know that I'm supposed to disagree with anyone that doesn't take this stance, but I don't really know why. And so I'd rather not talk to them about it because it's gonna be real easy to poke holes because I don't even know why I believe what I believe. I don't know how to defend myself. And so the thought of entering into some of these topics and conversations is terrifying because I'm probably gonna have to look at somebody and go, I don't know. And that can be one of the scariest things for us, so we would rather just avoid The whole thing. So again, I I just want to be clear, I'm gonna say this a lot over the coming weeks. I am not promising to handle everything perfectly. I'm I just gave you a whole list of reasons I shouldn't talk about these things. Okay? And some of them I recognize I'm a white man who's gonna stand up here and talk about some of these things. Like, I get it. My hope is simply to bring these things to the forefront. I'm going to handle them as delicately as as possible, but we just listed a whole bunch of landmines, and I'm not going to be able to avoid them all. And so I'm also asking for grace. My hope is not to shame anyone, to hurt anyone, to bring up a painful topic simply for the sake of just, again, throwing a grenade in the room. I think that as we discuss these things in appropriate settings, we'll begin to find healing. We'll begin to grow in our faith and our understanding. We'll begin to have conversations with non-believers about these things in ways where they don't feel like we're either attacking or terrified of the conversation. So I want to bring these things up, but I'm I'm understanding I'm not going to do it perfectly. And so if I say something that is offensive to you, if I say something that, um, man, I just really don't understand what I'm talking about here, that is fully on the table, and I would love for you to come and talk to me about it. I promise you, I will not defend myself. I will not say, well, you're wrong because, I will listen, I wanna understand in these things. I'm gonna bring it up imperfectly simply because they're worth bringing up. There's a a G.K. Chesterton quote that says, some things are worth doing poorly because we gotta start somewhere. And we have this idea that until we can have the conversations perfectly, we just shouldn't have the conversations. And that's led to decades of silence I'm willing to start them imperfectly, and I'm asking for your grace and participation as we do. Does that make sense? Okay. So just, I, we've talked about some of these, but I, I wanna make sure I don't miss anything. Again, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have to understand silence doesn't make curiosity go away, right? Just not talking about something doesn't mean that the world is no longer curious, your kids are no longer curious, your spouse, your friends, yourself. Doesn't, it, not talking about something doesn't make doubt go away. Honestly, it just buries it down deeper where it can begin to fester more because we're too scared to talk about it. We, the church has just stuck its head in the sand with some of these issues, hoping they go away, and I hope we can look around and see clearly they don't. They continue to just grow and become bigger issues. And then it's a bigger elephant in the room that we're too scared to talk about. Silence does not make these things go away. We have to talk about them. I think a lot of the reason that the church is seen as irrelevant by culture is because they go, you guys aren't even willing to talk about these things. Why would we care what you have to say about this Jesus guy and eternity? You don't even care about these very real issues that people are dealing with every day. Why would we listen to anything else? I think we've let ourselves go into irrelevance because we're scared to step up and participate in difficult conversations. I think that we need to be people who are open to having, and maybe even seeking out, having some of these difficult conversations. Sometimes we sit back and we go, well, if the world comes and asks me, maybe I'll answer. Again, we're, they're not thinking, what does the church think about this? What do, I wonder what Christians' opinions are. Most of them have seen enough of one news program or another to assume what Christians think. But what if we were the kind of people who said, hey, I would actually love to sit down and talk with you about that sometime. That seems really important to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that sometime. And we began to seek out some of these conversations and to share with them not only the thoughts of Jesus, but the grace and patience and mercy of Jesus as well. We've been talking about being on mission with Jesus, becoming like Jesus while being on mission with him. I think that having these kinds of conversations is an incredible tool for mission, People certainly aren't expecting it from the church. What, how are we seen by culture? Just the church as a whole. How are we seen by culture? Hypocrites, hypocrites holier than thou. Judgmental. Some people are like, they're just doing their thing, but it's not like Some people don't necessarily have that negative, oh, they're, they're hypocrites. But some people are going... They're kind of off there doing their own thing. And yeah, it's just not my thing, you know. What is it? Corny Christians. Christians, All right. They're just over there listening to their Jesus music. They don't, they got their head in the clouds. They don't even care what's really happening here on earth. This is how the world thinks of us. And listen, have we earned it? Yeah. Have we been hypocrites? And I'm not even just pointing at the church. I have been hypocritical. I have been judgmental, I have been so stuck in my thinking or unwilling to have those conversations or even listen to somebody else's point of view. We've earned it, but we also have the opportunity to begin to take it back. Okay, so if we're gonna have taboo conversations, I wanna set a couple ground rules, a couple things that have to be in place if we're gonna have these conversations well. Because, again, you can all picture what happens if I just stand up here and go, so abortion, right? And just, pff, the whole thing blows up. A couple ground rules that have to be present. First is humility. If we're going to engage in these kinds of conversations, we have to engage with humility. So what, what is humility? What does humility, like, actually look like in someone's life? What is it? compassion, okay? Mhm, listening. Okay, coming in as someone trying to understand, not always someone coming in trying to like teach. Okay? Okay. Considering what others need before you even consider what you need. Okay? Open-minded. That goes hand-in-hand with what culture thinks of Christianity, right? We're such open-minded people, fluid in our thinking. Okay. Okay. There's going to be a Holy Spirit dependence in humility, because part of humility is going, I don't know how to answer every question. I don't even know necessarily how to bring some of these up. I know that these are like incendiary topics and I don't necessarily know how to navigate it. Man, Holy Spirit, I'm dependent on you to show me. Okay? It's a very, very humble attitude. What else? Yeah. Okay. Man, can you imagine like watching the world's jaw drop if a Christian came up and went, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Like, it seems like something Jesus would do, right? I mean, he was never wrong, but let's just say. That seems very Jesus-like. And the world would be shocked by it because it seems very unchristian to actually admit, hey, I was wrong there, and I'm sorry. Other thoughts? The idea of someone said earlier, like, sin, and so like, sure. We're going to deal with this as we, as we go on through this. We have a tendency to think their sin is worse than my sin. Because listen, my sin, I understand. I can make a whole bunch of excuses and go, well, yeah, but the way that I got here was this, this, and this. And sure, I made some mistakes. But we look at somebody whose sin is different, and we go, ooh, gross. How could they do? That? It's, it's such a putting myself above them. I had a, sure, it was wrong, but I had a good reason for it. Or my sin makes sense, but what the heck is that? And we have this very judgmental view, even towards other Christians, let alone the world, because their sin is different. And my sin is somehow better or more okay or not as gross as those sins. Instead of looking and going, man, all of these that deal with sin, they're all gross. I I am just as much a sinner as that person I'm tempted to judge. And if I could start from that place, I have more need of grace and mercy than the worst sinner. Paul would come into this and he would go, I am the king of sinners. And we would go, yeah, but you're also Paul. It's like, he was just saying that, right? Paul truly believed the sins that I commit are so gross. I'm worse than anyone else I can think. And he didn't wallow in it and go, so God hates me. Like He appreciated the grace of the Lord But he took a place of going, my sin is more disgusting than anyone else I can see around me. That doesn't always sound very Christian, not as we tend to think about it nowadays. So let's look at another definition. Humility is defined this way, a modest or low view of one's own importance. Now, I want to point out very clearly, it doesn't say a low view of one's own value. Humility isn't going, I suck. Oh, how could God even come near to me? And oh, why would people even want to hear? It's not a a low view of one's value. That's just a misunderstanding of the scripture. That's a misunderstanding of what it is to be a child of God. But it's a low view of one's importance. We live in a world right now, listen, social media has has blown this up, where everyone needs to hear your every thought about everything, right? Right? And we've given you dozens of different platforms to go and tell people what you think. The world right now, and and Christians have bought into this, everyone needs to hear my opinions. Everyone needs to hear my thoughts. It's the opposite of humility. You know what? I can probably even stay quiet on this one because what I think doesn't really matter that much. People don't really need to hear from me. Do they need to hear from Jesus? Yeah. Did they, they need to hear his thoughts on things? Of course. But the problem is when we mingle the two, because certainly Jesus thinks exactly what I think, right? He agrees with what I agree with, and he hates what I hate, right? That tends to be our approach. And so all of a sudden, we can start throwing out our own thoughts and opinions as these are Jesus-stamped approved. Because what I think is so important I have to tell this person what I think about their lifestyle, even though they're not asking. That's a dangerous point of view. Humility has a lowered view, again, not of value, but of your own importance. What's good for them is more important than what I think is good for me. Andrew Murray. Uh, Wrote, uh, was a a pastor and and wrote a bunch of books uh, around the turn of the 20th century, so over 100 years ago. But he said this, even then, When I look back upon my own religious experience or round upon the church of Christ in the world, I stand amazed at the thought of how little humility is sought after as the distinguishing feature of the discipleship of Jesus. He looked at it and he went, the distinguishing feature, the number one thing that people should see in disciples of Jesus is his humility. But a hundred years ago, he was lamenting, not only do I not see humility in the people of Jesus, I don't even see anyone saying that's what we should be chasing It was greatness, it was making a name for yourself, it was politics, it was all these other things. And he says, where is the humility in the church? This should be the distinguishing feature of discipleship to Jesus. And for most of us, it's an afterthought. We know that pride is bad, but how many of us go, Lord, if I could only have one thing, let it be humility. We ask for a whole lot of other things. Listen, that doesn't make them bad. But Andrew would say, and I would agree with him, we're on a first-name basis, <laughs> that humility, and we're going to read a, a, another excerpt later, he says, is the soil that all other fruit grows in when it comes to our spiritual lives. That without humility, we won't see the other fruits growing. It's the soil in which all those other seeds are planted and yet it's the one thing that we as Christians in the world today are known for not having. We're seen as proud and arrogant and divisive. And again, it's not just about what the world thinks. We look at it and we kind of see each other that way sometimes. You ever had the conversation where, oh, well, that church, huh, those Christians over there, oh, they're so proud. and they're so, like, We even see ourselves that way. Sometimes when we think of humility, and when we do teach on it, when we do seek it, we think humility toward God, rightly. A humility toward God that says, you're everything and I'm nothing. You're always right, and I'm always wrong. Okay, not always. Anytime I disagree with you, you're right and I'm wrong. Humility to God looks like complete surrender. If at any point in time you're moving left and I want to go right, you're right and I'm wrong. Let's go your direction. So we think of that kind of humility, and we sing songs about it, and rightly so. We don't often enough think about humility toward one another. Because, listen, are you always right, and I'm always wrong? No. Am I always right, and you're No. It's hard, because everything God says is always good. It's always better. And so it's easy to go, man, humility to him looks like, you lead, I follow. I mean, it's really hard to do, but it's easy to grab that concept. We look at humility towards others and we go, but I can't say, okay, Brian, you're always right and I'm always wrong. That'd be foolish. And so we kind of go, man, I don't know what to do with humility when it comes to others. And So it doesn't get practiced. But Jesus said this, the greatest commandment, we know this passage the crowd came, and they were trying to trick him in some questions, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? Like, pick one, and they were going to try to use it against him, but he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That the second is like it meant the second is on the same level with, and it's to be approached in the same way. To to love the Lord your God with everything you have, and in the same fashion to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we ask the question then, how did Jesus love his neighbor? Philippians chapter 2. Kim mentioned this earlier. We read this verse a lot. Like, if there's any verse that you're going to spend your entire life studying on, this is the one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd become a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus considered others' needs before his own. Considered what was better for them before he considered what was better for him. And, and this spot in here where it says, who, this wording's a little different than what I have memorized in my head. I want to make sure I get it right. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. What that meant was if anybody could have come and said, listen, I'm right, you're wrong, you do what I say, who could have done it? Jesus. And nobody could have said a word about it. He's the king. But even he said, I'm coming as a servant. Even though I have the right to demand, I'm going to lay all that down and I'm going to choose instead to serve, to humble myself. To those that I agree with, no. To everyone I come in contact with, I'm going to lower my own self-importance. The king of the universe said this. And choose what's best for them instead of what's best for me. The humility of Jesus is undeniable, yet so often it's lacking. Humility and service were distinguishing characteristics of who Jesus was and should be distinguishing characteristics of every one of his followers. But it's so easy to miss. Instead of the church being seen as like the humblest group of people on the planet, we've become known as one of the most divisive entities in the world. We can't even get along with each other. I don't have it in front of me right now, but there are thousands of denominations around the world, thousands of Christian denominations. Every one of those came from a point of going, we can't work together, we don't like you, we're leaving. We're gonna go start our own thing. And some of them were over some issues that yeah, they probably needed to separate themselves, but thousands, why? Because I think we suck at humility. (laughs) Because in those times they weren't able to go, hey, we don't agree on these things, but I'm gonna humble myself. My views aren't that important. Unity with you, loving you, serving you is more important than these differences that we have. The church has lost this, and the world sees us as not only fractured and divided, but fracturing and divisive in culture. What are the two things you don't talk about in polite company? Politics and and religion, right? Why? Because both are seen as these like really divisive forces. The humility of Jesus is so lacking that we've been seen as this divisive thing that shouldn't even be brought into conversation. And listen, does the enemy have his hand in that? Of course. But we've given so much ammunition that when people hear you shouldn't talk about religion, they go, makes sense. It always turns out in a fight, right? Because we lack humility. This lack of humility causes the world to hold us at arm's length. We said we're to be on mission with Jesus but we've postured ourselves in a way where the world's going, don't want to hear anything you have to say. It causes the world to hold us at arm's length, and let's be honest, oftentimes it causes us to hold each other at arm's length. There are certain topics around here, you know where somebody else in this church stands, and you would just never even bring it up around them. Why? Because it's just not worth the fight. And so that brother or sister is going to be held at arm's length, Because if we start talking about those things, unity isn't gonna come, I just know it's gonna be a fight and division. Because we lack humility even towards one another. And so questions go unanswered and people just learn to go look for answers somewhere else. Because again, us not talking about it doesn't make the questions go away. People will just Google it instead. Our middle schoolers will just go talk to their other middle school friends and say, hey, what do you know about sex? Can't talk to them about it. crazy, right? And so there's a a pooling of ignorance that happens, because instead of being able to come to the one place where answers to life's questions should be found, eh, people go the other way. And oftentimes, it's because we have lacked humility in our interactions with them. Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are, what's the word say? The humble, for they will inherit the earth. Your translation may say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Real quick, humble, meek. It doesn't mean weak or cowardly or, or unprincipled in some way. Paul, talking to Timothy, said, listen, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, a spirit that tells us we're supposed to cower and, and be weak and just acquiesce to everything. And okay, you're right, whatever you believe, culture, no problem. We weren't given a spirit of fear, but of power. We tend to stop right there. We're not, God didn't cause us to be fear, but to be powerful. So we should get out there and we should show people that they're sinners, right? Power, love, and self control. Often we lack humility because we lack self control. We, we get this weapon meant to be used against the enemy in our hands and we just start cutting down other people with it instead because God gave us a spirit of power, right? Onward, Christian soldiers. But of love and of self-control. The word meek actually means power under control. There is a, an innate humility. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Dallas Willard, a theologian, says this, it's very difficult to be right about something without hurting someone with it. Why? Because we lack humility. So everything that we know in our hearts to be true, we naturally see as a bullet in the gun. And I can win an argument with this. And I can take them down with this. It is really difficult to be right and to not hurt someone with it. Because we lack humility. Look at the way that people came away from interactions with Jesus. Here's here's how Jesus said he approaches people Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, or take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm always right and don't dare stand against me, right? Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People came away from interactions with Jesus feeling light and refreshed, feeling loved and cared for. And did Jesus agree with them all the time? No. Jesus was a challenger. Jesus would stand and he would go, listen, some of you are following me because you got to eat bread, right? And it was good bread, right? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, cool. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were like, what? It's too much. Like... Jesus was a challenger by nature, but people came away, those who were truly seeking, feeling rest and lightness and refreshment. Do they feel the same when they have interactions with us? Jesus was humble and lowly, a servant of all, coming to them for their good, not for his, not to win the argument, not to prove himself right, but to humble himself before them. No person was taboo for Jesus. Jesus was constantly known for going and hanging out with people that were taboo. Jesus got this moniker with him. He was a friend of who? Sinners. And some of us heard yesterday at the training that we were at, they didn't use that in a kind way. They weren't being like, oh, what a friendly guy. He's such a friend of sinners. It was this vitriol, ugh, he's friends with them. Doesn't he know what that woman was doing earlier today? She just sold herself for money, and he's having dinner with her. Doesn't he know who those those tax collectors, those traitors are? We don't talk to them. We don't even look in their direction. We cross on the other side of the street because they're so tainted. And those were the people that Jesus went to. And let me tell you, sometimes Jesus would eat at the house of Pharisees. How do you think the sinners saw that? Why is he going to eat with them? Doesn't he know how much trouble they cause for us? Oh, those religious bigwigs? Like, ugh, we don't even talk to those people. No one was taboo for Jesus. And no topic was taboo for Jesus. They would actually try. They would come and try to like trap Jesus using some of these taboo topics. They would be like, hey, Jesus, so Rome is pretty popular. We're big fans of them occupying our nation. Should we pay them taxes? And what did Jesus do? He went, hey, guys, polite company. We don't, we don't talk about money here, right? Jesus actually embraced it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. I'm not going to avoid these topics, but I'm also not just going to enter into the fight with you I'm not going to try to prove myself right. You're going to like it. You're not going to like it. That's okay. But he didn't avoid these topics. Issues of, of racism with the Jews and Samaritans. They literally hated each other. If you were a Jew, you didn't go anywhere near a Samaritan town. Not only because it was filthy, but also because you'd be jumped and killed. And if you were a Samaritan, you were not welcome anywhere near a Jerusalem. A Jerusalem, A Jewish town. Yet, where did Jesus go? Back and forth between both. I'm going to go where people need me. No one is taboo for me. No one's too dirty. Jesus wasn't worried about getting their sin on his hands. Ooh, gross, what if it's infectious? They should have been worried his righteousness is infectious. When the light comes into the dark, light doesn't get infected by dark. The darkness gets pushed back. And Jesus said, listen, I'm calling all of us humbly to take light into dark places. We can't be judgmental and humble at the same time. You you can't hold both of those. Because judgmental says, I'm the judge and I'm declaring a verdict on you. I am above you and I'm telling you what's right or wrong. Humility says, you are more important than me the needs that you have are more important than the needs that I have. you cannot hold both and as a church we've chosen judgmental far too many times you cannot be judgmental and humble at the same time here's what jesus said again the king the one who will ultimately judge the world here's what he said god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him john 3:17 is right after the most famous passage in in all the Bible. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn any one of these people. I didn't come to tell them just how wrong they really are and they better turn around and shape up. I came to where they are in a humble state so that they could find salvation. Many of us see it as our job to show the world just how wrong and sinful it is. And that is not your place. I've heard trainings on how to share the gospel with people in the past. And there are some veins out there that say the first thing you need to do is convince someone they're a sinner. And so the first thing they teach them to do is to prove to that person you are sinful and unworthy of God. I think we all know that deep down somewhere. Somewhere we got in our heads, it's our job to condemn the world, to tell the world just how sinful it really is And I think in that time we take the job of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit coming into the earth one day. When He was still walking before the cross, He said, one day the Holy Spirit's coming. And when He comes, He will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus didn't say, look guys, Holy Spirit's going to try, but He needs your help. So go convict the world about sin. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of that. The ones who are responding to his conviction, man, that's ripe soil. Pour into that. It's not our job to go convict the world of how sinful they are. Holy Spirit's pretty good at his job, amen? amen? He doesn't need our help. We are here like Jesus, not to condemn the world, but to bring salvation to them through love and mercy and humility. So, there's a saying on the internet. It gets attributed to Walt Whitman, but it actually isn't one of his quotes. But it says, Be curious, not judgmental. Many of us, our natural stance is to go, I disagree with that, and we naturally just stand in judgment over it. What if instead we go, I disagree with that? What if we chose to be curious? What if we chose to go to that person and go, Hey, help me understand? I noticed you and I, we think differently on this. I'd love to just hear your thoughts. How did you get to where you are? What if instead of casting judgment, we actually moved in and asked questions? It is an incredibly interesting study sometime. Look at the questions that Jesus asked. Jesus was known for being an incredible question asker. Even when people would come and they would go, hey, which side are you on, this one or this one? He'd respond with a question. Like, it's almost every time. This was like Jesus' natural response was to bring curiosity and to question. Because he was trying to draw the person out, not prove the person wrong. He cared more about them as an image bearer, a creation of the king. And so he tried to draw that out because he wanted to actually hear from them, get to the root of what was going on not just get to a point of winning the argument and casting judgment. Is this making sense, church? You're getting real quiet. Which either means I'm onto to something or I'm way off the mark. Closing up here. James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Slow to what? Slow to speak. And slow to anger. This doesn't describe much of us. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. The world doesn't need to know how angry and outraged you are about a topic. It doesn't accomplish what God is trying to do. Instead, what they need is a person of God to come and listen without casting judgment to move toward them. Your anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth, like this, and should we be holy people pursuing holiness? Should I be calling sin, sin in my own life? Yes, because I care about you as brothers and sisters as we walk together. and there are gonna be times when I have to put my arm around you and go, hey, because I love you, out of a place of humility, let's talk about this, but I think this is hurting you. I think this is actually leading you away from God because his word seems pretty clear. Let's talk about that. Yes. Should I be standing back and going, how dare you do that? Come back to me once you've fixed it. Ridding ourselves of moral filth and the evil is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So what I want to do by way of closing is I want, I'm going to have a time of silence, and in there, what I what I want to do is just give us opportunity to ask God, Lord, are there are there areas of my life that I need to repent? Are there areas of my life where I'm holding on to pride? I am so convinced I'm right that I've used it to hurt other people, because that is not humility. That is pride and arrogance, and so I want to have a time. Just to allow the Lord to examine our hearts and if he touches on something, to repent. Lord, I want to be humble before you and with those around me. And if there's anything, any pride that it's showing, myself, showing itself in my life, would you bring it to light? I want to put it to death so that I can walk in the humility of the Holy Spirit. Again, Andrew Murray says this, humility, it's the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every other virtue. And so pride, or the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. Lord, if there are areas in my life where I'm choosing pride, would you show me? And if he does, if he puts his finger on something, listen, that, does pride want to die? You're going to start coming up with every excuse that you have but to actually make the choice to go, Lord, I humble myself. You're right, and I'm wrong. Would, would you kill this pride? And would you allow me to walk in humility? Because here, here's the truth about humility. You can't do it. You can't make yourself humble like Jesus. But you can take the first humble step and admit that. Lord, I need your help. Would you grant me your humility? Would you grant me your eyes to see those around me like you see them? would you put my pride to death asking it's the humblest step we can take admitting we can't be humble and asking him for help and from there we simply follow wherever he leads us in response and so we're going to take 2 minutes to just sit and be still before the lord simply asking him lord are there areas where there's pride are there areas where i lack your humility And if he brings those up, right where you sit, spend time just repenting. Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. I want what you want more than I want what I want. Would you put this pride to death? And then afterwards, as we close with a song, I'm going to have the elders come up here. And if you need to come and pray with someone, there is power in confession. Coming to someone else, to another brother or sister in Christ, and going, would you pray for me? I, I feel convicted by the Lord that I'm in sin, And I would love for you to pray for me. There is power, bondage-breaking power in confession. If as you're sitting with the Lord, he brings some other things to mind, whatever it may be, or sometimes you're just dealing with something difficult, come and receive prayer. Let's humble ourselves before our God, seek his face and his hand, and become like him. So let's spend a few minutes just sitting in silence. Lord, you say in your word that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. That you draw near to those who draw near to you, who come and ask for help, who come and and humble themselves before you. Lord, would you draw near to us over these next few moments? May we humble ourselves before our king. Lord, may we humble ourselves before one another You also say in there that as we resist the enemy, he has to flee. Lord, as we resist the pride that is within us, as we put it to death, may your humility reign. And Lord, as your humility reigns in our lives, may we begin to see every other virtue bearing fruit in our lives. So may we respond in whatever way you have led us to this morning, I pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Elders, would you come up here and let's stand and sing and respond how the Lord has led.